Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. This is Duna Bartolo. My name is Yoon Lee. I'm currently recording from the hotel lobby in Nashville, Tennessee, where I'm at for a journalism workshop for the week. Uh, so I apologize for the extraneous noises. Uh, there's, for whatever reason, uh, there's a there's a waterfall in the lobby, and so that's what you're kind of hearing in the background. Uh, but thanks again for tuning in. Uh, on the show this week, we have Scott Braun of MLB Network. Scott is a really young guy in the industry. He's uh, 27 or 28, uh, I forget. But he, he mentions it on the show. And uh, he's already at MLB Network, which is really, really impressive. So we talked about how Scott got to where he is today uh, at, at such a young age. And we also talked about the state of the television industry as a whole in regards to sports and how things are kind of changing and, and what we're kind of doing as, a, as an industry to, to adapt to the age of Internet and Twitter and Vine and all that good stuff. So... Scott was awesome. He was really, really generous with his time, and, and I think you guys are going to enjoy the podcast. Uh, if this is your first time listening, uh, thank you. Uh, it's not too late to join the, the bandwagon. Please head over to iTunes. Rate and subscribe to the show. Uh, the ratings really help get the word out, and subscribing will obviously keep you updated with every single episode, and make sure you go check out some of the previous episodes as well. So without further ado, this is Scott Braun of MLB Network. You are a melody, I hear you all the time, it really gets to me, it's always on my mind, you are my favorite song, your love is justified, you play me all the time, your love is just and then you're always watching me, me, me. No so today on the show we have Scott Braun of MLB Network, and he's uh, he's kind of the the, the first TV only guy that we're having on the show. Scott, how are things going? I'm very honored to be on here, not just to be the on, the first TV only guy, but also is this not the biggest week for the podcast in history? If we go back to last weekend, based on what the name of the podcast? Oh yeah, is? I mean like. I briefly mentioned it at the end of the Ken Rosenthal episode, but that Bartolo Colon home run was like one of my favorite top 10 baseball moments in like the last decade. <laughs> this is epic. I mean, and I do Mets games mostly in spring training. Uh, I called a bunch of games this spring training. And, and what most people don't know is Bartolo Colon actually hit one. Very different to do it in batting practice, but they had never even seen that before. Yeah. He hit one in batting practice and, and people freaked out about it. And obviously it's different in a game, but... There's just a lot of cool stories that go into it. First of all, if you look at Mets pitching, Mets pitching hitting-wise is outstanding, in my opinion, better than anyone else, and it's made a difference, and we can get into it, but in terms of, of numbers-wise, in terms of how they're actually impacting games, because people don't think pitchers matter. Right, but Syndergaard hit two homers, two homers a couple nights ago. Yeah, and Steven Matz is great at the play, too. They're all great. They all, they all can hit. Matt Harvey, and they look like professional hitters. Like You look at the way that Noah Syndergaard swings, it doesn't look like he's a pitcher. It looks like he's trying and he's caring. I don't know how much it has to do with, say, Kevin Long and the hitting coach they have there, but I do love the story a couple years ago when he came and he was just as serious with the pitchers as he was with the hitters, and mm -hmm. Bartolo Colon kind of thought it was a joke, and he's, I, I want to say he had two hits the year before, and Kevin said, well, I'd like you to, to get to four, let's set that goal, and Bartolo's like, how about we settle for three? <laughs> <laughs> and... All of the pitchers, some of them already came with it. Noah Syndergaard was hitting in the minor leagues. He had a little stretch where he was tearing up the minor leagues like a 
say 10 for 25 stretch, something like that. But, but it's neat. But the coverage that Bartolo Colon got, I haven't received that many texts in a while because buddies of mine listened to me during spring training about Bartolo's home run. And I actually uh, was on the air earlier that day, but then I'd been off. So I'd gone to a dinner and I start getting my phone starts blowing up. And then, you know, you can access the clips in five seconds nowadays and you see what it was. And then also the call from Gary Cohen. It's like some people are, are criticizing the call because they're like, well, it's not that big a deal. It's just a regular season game where I hit a home run. Well, like, like let's put it into context of how much it means to people. Right. Bartolo Colon can attract some casual fans. Mm-hmm. And that's important. That's what every sports league is looking for. Like there's somebody who might not like baseball at all, but they see a guy who's almost 300 pounds who looks like he has no business being at the plate hitting a home run. And that's making me watch for a few minutes. Right. So I thought it was awesome. It's great for baseball. Not, and Yeah, 100%. I mean, and it totally fits into just like the whole narrative of hashtag make baseball fun again. And, and, yes. and Puig and Harper leading that, that, whole, that whole direction. And Tops has a program now where they're selling these cards and you can get them within 24 hours. And Bartolo Colon's card with the home run swing, and we talked about this on our Facebook Live show last week, and that card sold, I want to say the second most um, was Jake Arrieta with the no-hitter, which was in the, say, 1,000s range, and Bartolo was in the 8,000s range. So the impact of what Bartolo did, it's not just with Mets fans. Some people say, oh, well, it's just Mets fans. This is New York bias. It's not, because there's that many people. I know there's more people that live in New York, say that in in most other cities, it's the number one market. But still, the impact of Bartolo, the fact that that card was eight times more popular than number two, which was a no-hitter from the best pitcher in the game right now, means that it's important to people. Yeah, I mean, like, Bartolo is, is basically a cult hero in baseball right now. And mm-hmm. I think it is, it's for a variety of reasons. Number one is, like, he's 42 years old and he's still pumping gas. And he's, he's he throws, like, 80% fastballs. And there was a weird career renaissance, you know, uh, after he had the platelet injection into his into his elbow and he started throwing hard again with the athletics. And there was a couple-year period with, you know, with the Red Sox and the Yankees where he wasn't very good and he was kind of toiling around baseball. And suddenly he, he became this... He, he, for a couple of years, he was a uh, he was like a number two, a really good number two pitcher, and and now he obviously is not that anymore. But there's still like this this charm about him, and he eats innings, and that's what people are looking for. And right. if he can eat innings and do it with an ERA under four, that's a big deal for the back end of a starting rotation, especially right. on a team like the Mets when you have so many young guys. He's a fun guy. Whatever he does, I don't want to say it's a bonus. Like Joe Madden says with David Ross, whatever he does at the plate this year is a bonus because he's so good in the clubhouse and with the pitching staff. And that's a whole other conversation with how much a guy can impact the team because especially nowadays in baseball, you see the battle with people that are numbers-based and sabermetricians going against guys that say chemistry still matters. And you see a little bit of that on both ends. But Bartolo, forget what he does with the clubhouse and how well-liked he is among the team. It's, it's also – just business-wise, how big of a deal he is to the Mets fan base. There's so many people that are very into just watching Bartolo and seeing what he does, no matter what it is, even if he swings out of his pants and his helmet falls off, that's humorous to them, and it has nothing to do most of the time with his performance. So it's it's very neat to see what Bartolo is doing and uh, and the impact that he's making, despite not being you know, the best pitcher in baseball. It's just that he kind of defies logic nowadays, and I'm into health, fitness, nutrition, and he's just... He's clearly not as much as 
interesting. But but uh, so it's cool to see someone. It's it's an underdog story in a in a sense. Yeah. That a guy can go up there and and hit one out of the park and gives a lot of people hope. Yeah, I mean we, we've gone on enough about Bartolo, but uh, how did I mean for you? How you're on MLB Network now and you're and you're hosting a bunch of different things. Uh, how did you kind of? set your sights on on a career in that direction and how did you kind of get into sports growing up so i wanted to be in the nba when i was five years old i think i made that determination pretty quickly i was always very determined and i like to have a plan i like to say this is what i want to do what's my path to get to it what i ended up figuring out in the sports broadcasting industry or just in broadcasting and media in general is there's not a clear path like my cousin is going to med school next year the path is much more clear for him get the best grades you can in college and there's internships and studies but there there's no right or wrong path in the same way You're, there, there's no med school after that I mean you could go to graduate school for broadcasting or for journalism but it's it's definitely not the same where you're placed in programs and um, I always wanted to have that clear path so I said okay clear path to get to the NBA I know what I need to do right I need to be the best player on every team that I'm on and keep moving up the ladder well by age 10 I figured out that when I'm playing travel basketball against some other guys that are twice my size that's maybe not going to work out and I should have a second career a backup plan which I quickly picked up and I saw for example broadcasters sitting uh, courtside at a basketball game and calling the game and started to pick up because you watch games on tv at a young age but you're not really putting it all together where is he how is he doing that that's an actual career that someone can have all I do is talk talk about sports and memorize sports and when there was you know there's an expansion draft for a team I'm writing down every pick and and writing a little note about it for no reason at all probably just to entertain myself but I'm into that so I was able to link that to sports broadcasting and then in my area and I grew up in New Jersey there's broadcast programs there's just small opportunities that you can grab uh, to learn from somebody or to come across someone or eventually to shadow someone. And so that took itself into high school where I did the, I started a sports broadcasting club and I took a bunch of students to quite frankly with Stephen A. Smith, I had a relationship with someone there and we'd go there and just watch how a taping of a show. And that's actually very different from how most tapings work. It's not like you're going to an MLB tonight or a sports center and watching behind the scenes how uh, th Stephen A. Smith, it's more of an entertainment show, or that was, quite frankly, where you have a, a live studio audience. That's not very common. But just to see how the background of TV works, and he would speak to us in between when they were taping interviews. And, and then in high school, I, I started linking up with people like a broadcaster at News 12. There's a bunch of those in the tri-state area where I grew up, in Connecticut and Long Island and New Jersey and started shadowing someone there. And I just was, I wouldn't take no for an answer. And, and sometimes I'd get no and I'd have to uh, shut up and go to another option. But um, I, I kept trying to shadow people and, and it kept turning into things. And w when people ask me like, where did you end up now? I always say it rolls. It rolls from one thing to the next. And um, for example, so say at News 12, I start shadowing and I do anything. You know, you need me to hold the, the camera because a lot of places, especially locally, are one-man bands. So you hold the camera, you shoot that, you shoot your own stand-up, uh, you edit it yourself. You basically do everything. So I'm like, hey, you need a hand? I'll, I'll help you out. And I know that's, that's, that's going to be beneficial for whoever's out there because if you have one less thing, even slightly less to worry about, and you can set up the camera and just have me hold it or make sure that it's shooting you in the right direction, it's going to give you more quality. Um, because it's really difficult to do all those things at the same time. So eventually that turned into, hey, there's three great storylines tonight. We have two broadcasters. We have very small budget. 
um, let's secretly send Scott out and he'll cover some of these things. And so I started doing that and, and then I did that until one night at two in the morning I'm leaving and the security guard always would kind of be curious of what I'm doing there. And he one time really stopped me and was questioning me and eventually they, they said, okay, well, be, forget about internship. This is just a random kid who's kind of, and I wasn't on air uh, visually, but I was occasionally you could hear my voice, but um, I guess it kind of just snuck through, the, slipped through the cracks and I was able to do some work there, which was huge for a high school kid to be able to have that kind of experience. You know, for example, I would go and cover the uh, NEC conference tournament um, of basketball and Monmouth won the tournament. This was years ago and Monmouth uh, made it to the uh, NCAA tournament. So I'm going to the selection show uh, where they're watching um, the uh, selection show on CBS and I'm interviewing them all after the fact. Hey, you're playing whoever it was, Duke. What do you think about Duke and all that kind of stuff? So I was just out there on my own, just learning and figuring it out. And it's not like I had any prior training. I, I My training was only shadowing other people. But the beauty of this business is that's really how you get a lot of your training. You just, I, when I speak to kids, I'm like, number one, watch who you like and watch who you can relate to. And even people that you can't relate to and just see what their tendency are, tendencies are and what you can pick up from them. And then, and then obviously repetitions of, of practicing it and doing it on your own. But it, it's an industry that you can learn a lot from just completely on your own aside from what you'll get if you decide to pursue it uh, in school. So that's what I did in high school and then picked up a lot of other little things. But everything was just kind of building towards being a broadcaster. And I didn't know necessarily where I wanted to go. Like I didn't know and I was told a lot of times, well, what's your niche? What, what's your specialty? And I said, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm – 18 years old. <laughs> I don't want to pigeonhole myself at 18. I, I was wise enough to know that because also you'll get a lot of bad advice, in my opinion. You'll, you'll run through a lot of people that their own way, and that might not be the way that you should go about it. So one of the keys for me was always sifting through, and it's not like anything was bad or, or intentionally trying to hurt you. It's just that everybody uh, goes about getting to where they are in a different way. And everybody's really different. So for me, I took the best out of, out of, and I made plenty of mistakes myself or, or made decisions where I wasted time doing something or, um, or wish that I had done something differently. But I, I kept receiving advice that, that was beneficial to me to, to keep moving up. So, Hey, I want to, I want to be able to speak in front of an audience. So I go and try out for the Somerset Patriots in the Atlantic league independent baseball and you're on the field and they're having you run through musical chairs and trivia contests and singing happy birthday. And, and I got the gig. And so every night there's a baseball game and in between the innings I'm running it. And, and that was really helpful for me. And you don't even have to do that much public speaking if you don't want to now in the broadcasting business. Like my job, I'm, not, I'm speaking. There's a control room packed with people. I don't see them. The only people I'm seeing are the people that I'm on with and then some of the crew that's around me. So when I was doing – the the uh, on air hosting or the on field hosting I should say you know with eight thousand people sometimes if the place is packed like that that was a very different experience but it was great for public speaking so all these things just kept building up and then running through a bunch of internships and then eventually um, and we can get into this more but but actually turning that into gigs which began in college for example doing ESPNU and doing uh, broadcasting in the Cape Cod baseball league um, for a couple seasons as well which was a key because I eventually learned another thing. I, I interned at a number of spots, but I need to actually be doing it. So when I'm interning there, usually at a, say, a TV station, like when I did an MSG network, for example, I learned a ton from the people there, 
but I learned even from the people there that I need to be able to, to have my own work and be doing this on my own if I want to rise and get to where I want to get to as quickly as possible. I mean, I think part of what I kind of take away from uh, your, your path, you know, up to, up, to, up to where you kind of talked to is that you weren't afraid to ask people to, you know, for... Like you? I mean, it was just, it, was, it felt like, I feel like a lot of it is just like asking, hey, can I have this opportunity? Hey, can I shadow you? Can I do X, Y, or Z? I mean, how much do you think that played a role into what you were, what, you, what you've kind of uh, built up, up, built up to until that point? Enormous. And I would send email after email and meet people at random events, sporting events, whatever I was doing. If I was covering something and I met someone there that was higher up on the food chain and try and stay in touch with them or at least just pick their brain and who knows? I mean, I think it's changed a lot. It's funny because you can see how you're doing career wise because it's like at first when you're starting and you're trying to do this and you're in early high school, um, it just depends. You'll run through some really great, nice people. And then there's a lot of people that are saying you're very young and I don't have time. And I understand that. So, you know, 90 something percent of your emails are going unanswered, but who cares? It's, it's like my sisters are in showbiz and they go to auditions all day, every day, and they'll be on a great gig. And then the star of the show will be like, I'm done. And then they're, they're back to finding more work. So they go to auditions, they get 500 no's and one yes, and that one yes is Broadway, so who cares? So I figured this, I put it in the same context. I said, I'll get 500 no's, but just like when you're doing this show, you'll, I'm sure you've sent, reached out to people that haven't gotten back to you yet, or maybe they will, or maybe once they find out more about your podcast, they will, but the, you send an email to a Tom Reducci and he writes you back and says, sure, let's talk on Thursday. And, and, and it, you can't, you gotta have a lottery ticket to be in it. So that was always my mentality. And I knew that I was going to get a ton of no's or no answers at a young age, but I still kept trying. And so, uh, who knows? You just, I fired off thousands and thousands of emails just to try and reach people and, and calls and got interviews even in high school for internships. And then once I went in, they said, wait, how old are you? And they said, no, we can't even do this legally until you're <laughs> blank age or until you're getting college credit. So I just was hungry and I was interested in that. And I was still playing sports in high school, but I knew what I wanted to do. So sometimes I would sacrifice a night out or I'd meet up with friends late or do whatever I need to do to make sure that I was trying to get as much as I can out of each spot that I was at. And then once I went to Miami, the world really opened up because there's just, it's, it's really a sports hub down there more so I think than people have realized because it's sure they have pro teams, but how many big events are down there? And so that was a, a key thing for me in, in terms of choosing a school because there's Super Bowls, there's NASCAR championships, there's, there's so many events that are going on in a few parts of the country. And it seems like a lot of those parts are, are usually warm areas. And, and that was something that was one of the best decisions I made. We'll get back to Scott in just one second, but first a word from our friends over at Seeky. I know you guys are looking for the best way to buy sports and concert tickets for the summer online. Lots of sites make it really complicated, and they sneak in these huge fees at checkout to jack up the price a lot. And I, that's why you need to check out SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to look for tickets. They've taken out all the work and hassle for shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you can save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games and SeatGeek will let you know if ticket prices fall. Even better, every single ticket on SeatGeek is, is given a grade based on its value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats, and before you buy, you can even use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price, and unlike competitors, SeatGeek will show you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprise you with huge fees at checkout. Listeners to Doing It For Bartolo can get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase, in order to get that, 
head over to the CQC app, download that on the App Store or the Google Play Store, go to the Settings tab, and click Add a Promo Code, and enter the promo code Bartolo, which you shouldn't know how to spell at this point. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. So in order to get a $20 rebate, make sure to download the free SeatGeek app, enter promo code Bartolo today. They're helping out the show. They're sponsoring the show. Friends of uh, doing it for Bartolo. Please make sure to go support them. And now back to Scott Braun. So what into what went into your decision to, to go to Miami? Uh Beyond just the pure number of sporting things that are that are kind of going on there, and obviously the, the weather is is obviously great. Sure, the the weather is a bonus, and I promise you, it had nothing to do with why I went down there. And then once I was down there, I loved it. But it never was a thought in my mind because I was that tunnel vision. This is what I want to do: broadcasting. It can be in Wisconsin, it can be in Alaska, it can be in Texas. It doesn't matter what state it's in, what part of the country. Um, I want to be at the spot that I feel I'm going to be able to do what I want to do best. And what, what I said, number one for me was to be able to be on air getting reps and just learning that from other people that I had shadowed or I had conversed with, that was important to me. So I wanted to make sure number one, that I didn't go to a place where I was getting training for two or three years and I wasn't going to be able to do anything until my junior or senior year. That didn't make sense to me. And I didn't think I was better than anyone. I just knew that you have to do this for years to be able to, you know, to hone your craft and you're, you're never going to be probably as, as perfect as you want to be. But I knew that I needed thousands of hours and somewhere like Miami where they had a brand new TV setup, HD cameras, multiple studios and a ton of shows. That was where I could get a ton of reps. And so I, you know, they had rules uh, for, they call it UMTV. You can only do two shows and it's, I'm sure it's changed a bunch since, since then. And I remember I signed up for five or six shows and a couple of them had auditions. And so I ended up, you know, doing, I want to say four or five shows per semester and they didn't even pay attention. And, and so they were, they were always good with that. They, they understood, I mean, they had certain guidelines, but if, if you wanted to do more with it, you could. And, and so that was a huge pull for me was what I was able to do there. But I knew that what was going to separate me was not doing just the campus TV and radio. That was for my own personal growth, but there's thousands of kids that do that. So I knew that my experiences in high school would help me get some other things outside of just, uh, the college TV and radio. And that's what I was able to leverage. And first, you know, there was internships down there, Miami heat. And I also did a lot of just to make some extra cash, um, freelance talent stats and talent spotting, which when I speak to some people, they're not even aware of and how beneficial that can be. Not only is it a paid gig, but you're also standing next to a broadcaster. Like if you want to be a play-by-play broadcaster, if you can get yourself into doing one of those two gigs, that's huge to learn about it because you're standing right next to them. You're seeing how they're calling a game, what they're doing before a game. I gained so much from doing that, usually more from doing that than I was in in any type of class because it was on-field experience. And then it turned into gigs. There was uh, CBSSports.com had a studio there, and uh, they needed someone to fill in. And I kept running into them at events and because I was doing some things for ESPNU. And they had this campus connection set up where students can contribute. And I was able to, to gain a little more from some special events down there. So, for example, they had the McDonald's High School All-American game. And I was able to do a few fun pieces with the guys down there uh, and who, you know, half of them are, are future NBA players and are in the NBA now. And 
Um, I was able to do some pieces down there that, that turned into some really fun work that they were putting on their shows. And so that was huge. And that turned into press passes to get to wherever you need to go to other sporting events to keep doing that. And nowadays, I don't want to say it's easier, but there's even more avenues. But when I, June, when I went to college, I originally said, okay, freshman year, the path is that I'm going to go into local news and keep moving up the markets as a sports broadcaster. And I quickly picked up and always kept adapting with the times and how the industry shifted and saw that there are so many more ways and webs now in the industry and that you don't necessarily have to do that. And learning from people that were at all sports networks, they said, well, if you're able to work for somewhere where you're getting more than just the, the two minutes at the end of a show and, and you can you can do a 30-minute show, a 60-minute show, whatever it is. I mean, you're going think about it. Just do simple math. You're on for two minutes a day or you're on for 50 minutes a day with commercials or whatever it is. I mean, you're gaining so much more uh, hosting-wise. So to do that for, say, a dot-com, a digital like a CBSSports.com. I did work for ESPN.com when the Miami Heat – started really emerging down there and it was it was right when I was finishing up with school but LeBron came down there and those kind of experiences were enormous and I was getting hours and hours of on-air reps which to me was huge so I shifted that focus uh, pretty early on when I recognized that it wasn't just count the markets all right I'm at market 200 I'm at my market 180 like I there are so many different ways to to jump through those hoops if you want to nowadays yeah and I think that that is applicable beyond just TV broadcasting. I think there's just with the internet and how everything is just so accessible, there's a way for you to make a name for yourself on some sort of national platform without necessarily having to go through that traditional, you know, start a small newspaper, start a small TV station and moving it up from there. And not to say that it's some sort of shortcut. I mean, you, you clearly like worked your ass off trying to get to where you are today, but it, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, how, how old are you? I'm 27. So you're 27 years old. You're already at MLB Network. That's a sure. you know that's that's an accompl- That's a pretty big accomplishment in my eyes. And, and you know you were you were doing stuff for CBS.com and ESPN. Uh, you you know during college, how did you kind of get your foot in the door there and 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 kind of make yourself stand out from the pack? I'm telling you, it was all based on because one one of the things that you need to prove when you're at a young age, but you feel like you're capable of handling a job, and when you're sending a clip, and also this was a thing. So, for example, I get to college, and everybody's using tape to tape for the most part, uh, linear editing, and putting together their demo reels. And for some reason, I don't remember how, but I mean, I do have a lot of buddies that work in tech and and are very into um, web design and app building and and going back to college, this this was true. And and for some reason, I picked that up very quickly that I said, well, why can't I just edit this on a computer software like some of the movie uh, TV uh, and movie and film guys are, are using and then put it on a website? And I did. And there and I looked up, there was a few people that had websites, mostly people that were already um, in the in the industry, not necessarily somebody that was there, you know, nationally, but maybe someone working at a regional that was putting all their work up there, whatever interviews, sideline interviews. But um, I put it on a website and and it was it didn't seem too difficult to do. And I felt like that was a huge advantage. Someone's getting a billion tapes on their desk or whatever it is. And I'm able to just send them a a brief clip, you know, here's a one minute clip of the last thing I just did or a few quick interview questions and answers that I put together from interviewing all the heat players. Um, and so those kind of things were huge, but 
what, what happens is you keep running into the same people and you build relationships with them and that's what was going on. I was, I was at all these events in South Florida and I was running into the same people over and over again and keeping in touch with them and uh, we became friends and then eventually I would send them work and, and the biggest thing that was proving to them that I was capable of handling this and that I had had a lot of experience already and I would sometimes even add up how many hours I had just done in the past year. You know, I mean, in the summertime when I'm calling games, in uh, the Cape Cod League, you're calling, say, 50 games a summer. So, you know, I would just start doing the math. Okay, average game is two hours, 45 minutes, whatever it is. I'm doing a pre and a post game show. And we also added a lot um, each year to that broadcast where suddenly it was all radio uh, or even you call on your phone. There was a, a few different ways to listen. Um, but I said, well, why aren't we putting the pre and the post game on something video wise that people can see after the fact? Because a lot of people are missing it or they really want to see because there's so many players that ship that, that sift through the league and you want to be able to get through everybody. So I would usually only interview one or two guys for the whole summer or interview each guy one or two times for the whole summer for the pregame show for an extended interview. And say if we did it on game three, it's just gone or it's just archived sometimes in an audio file. Like, let's let's see what they look like. Um, so, you know, I was able to do that my second season. I wish I did it my first season because my first season there, I think there was seven or eight guys that are in the majors right now. And then the next year there are zero. So it just so happened to fit that way. But, for example, I mean, I was calling games with Matt Harvey on the mound. So I had wished that I could go back and, and just look at that interview um, from a visual perspective. But to, but I was able to just have a ton of clips to choose from. And when people know, I mean, you learn when you're putting together a demo, at least in the TV or radio field, you're putting together your best stuff, even if it's only a few minutes. And I had a lot of uh, great stuff to choose from and, and, uh, and was able to send that out. And then that kept turning into one job after another. For me, it was always a rolling process. You do a good job on one thing, you build relationships, there's an opening with something, or you get word of something, or as simple as you're just keeping in touch with people and they're keeping uh, they're keeping current with the work that you're doing, and if there's an opening, someone reaches out to you. I'm, I don't want to act like it's simple, but, um, but there, and I, I hustled a lot. I mean, I really did, and, and I'm still doing it because I'm at MLB Network, um, but there's a lot of other things that I do, uh, to fill up my schedule. And this is what I love to do. So I, am at MLB, but I'm, I, I call some games for SNY and MLB network now has a relationship with NHL network. So now I'm a host on NHL tonight and on the fly. And, uh, and then I, I'm really into radio and opinion based work. So I started picking up shows with Sirius XM. So one thing just, just kept flowing to another and it was mostly just through meeting people or through – and then when you get to a certain level, sometimes someone's reaching out to you based on your exposure or, or what you're doing. Or someone's saying, hey, I'm, I'm interested in your work. Can you send me a little clip? Or, hey, I've watched you. Uh, do you have any you know, free time to, to meet for lunch and we can talk about uh, maybe calling a few games for us? So there's a lot of different ways to get to it. But the hardest part, obviously, is, is starting out and having that base. But even – I'll speak to somebody that's – 25 or 26 and they just decided that they wanted to get into it and first of all one of the biggest benefits for me was getting into it at a young age and and, and starting quickly and building up yeah. resume and clips but even for somebody at that age they're like well how do i get into this and get you you're interning say at mlb network with me and you're asking me this i was like take a mic flag 
go out with a buddy and start taping hits on, on uh, outside of a stadium. I mean, you can do these things and then put them together and show clips to people. You'd be surprised. Like that could gain you exposure. Or like you said, start your own podcast. Start you know, start uh, writing on a website. There's a lot of ways that, that you can put it together. There's so many more ways now. I'll, I'll just run through when I'm speaking to somebody, say, at University of Miami or any other school, and I'm trying to brainstorm with them based on what their interests are and what they're looking for after school and uh, after they graduate. And we come up with so many ideas, uh, more ideas than they even thought. And you like the more people that you bounce this stuff off of, you realize like, hey, what do you watch? What do you listen to? And you keep looking up stuff. And hey, does this website have any video hosts? Let me reach out to them and see. I mean, I don't want to say you should do everything for free, but like if you're in college and there's this, and you recognize that there's a site that has very little video content or there's something you can contribute, get on there. You're going to get more exposure. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's take a step back. What, when you were, when, when you were in the midst of your, you know, your work in college and your first job, uh, what were some of the early mistakes that you made? Um, I think that sometimes I would spend a lot of time on something and, realize that either it's not what I'm exactly looking to do or or research based. First of all, number one, and I'm still doing this and still figuring this out, there's so much available now. There are so many resources. There are so many articles. There are so many great, talented people that write that are on air. And I want to absorb as much of it as possible. But to, you run out of time in the day. And, and you need to be able to balance what you're uh, what you're absorbing and then what you're actually producing yourself. So I, I, that started at a very young age where, and I, I still have certain things that I, I, I say, you know, like I, I'll, I'll study still like every box score from baseball. And I'm like, do I need to, or should I really kind of breeze through it quicker? And th there's just certain things that have been habits since I've been young and I do some fantasy sports work. So that's important to be looking through certain numbers um, on a daily basis. But the number one thing, and it, it goes back for a long time, was just wasting time on certain things and, and certain shows, but I, I, it's hard because was I wasting time or you, obviously you learn from your own mistakes. So I don't know if I can necessarily pinpoint certain stories, but it, it's mostly just research based on a daily basis where I'm like, okay, maybe I shouldn't be looking at this publication and I should be focusing more on this, or maybe I should broaden myself. But because I read all day, I'm reading all day and I'm watching TV all day, um, in between my own gigs. But I think, time wasting is a huge thing. And that's why I try to help people with a lot as, you know, someone that's younger than me that's trying to uh, move their way up. And I'll ask them, okay, what are you doing every day? And I'll try and kind of help them say, all right, that's kind of a waste of time or, or maybe you should be doing more of this. So, and that goes, that goes along with finding someone, not necessarily to mentor, but just to, to pick their brain. Like, hey, what, what are you reading every day? Um, what are you spending time on? So for me, mistake wise, I would say that's, that's one of the bigger things. I mean, um, because in, in terms of taking on gigs, I can say this on the other end. So what's shocked me in school and even after that was how many things pop up that people are not willing to do. And most of it's not necessarily because they're lazy. They might be afraid, but I've done speed golf i've covered a dumpling eating contest i've done some <laughs> funky things that i had no idea about going into it i didn't know that particular sport or the way that league is run but the same way that you study for a major or for a course you can do with sports i don't want to say 
it, it, you can become an expert in just about anything or know enough about it to really be able to tell the story. So for me, I, especially in college, I was shocked at how many emails would come through the chain at, at Miami um, and how many opportunities were just in the area that kids who wanted to do the same exact thing as me did not want to do. And some of it, yeah, you have kids social life-wise that said, I want to you know, choose to spend a little more time partying. And I mean, I, I was able to find a balance there. But um, it still shocks me that how many things would pop up and, and people wouldn't take them on. And I'm like, seriously? Like, there, there's only two people that volunteered to work at, you know, the Super Bowl event or something like that. It was just a lot of things that, that would shock me. Um, and especially when you're trying to make a name. And, and, and there is time management. So then when you get to a certain point, you don't want to take on everything because you don't want to spread yourself too thin. But especially when you're just trying to get to rise through the business. Like, if you're like, okay, I want to be a – uh, writer in basketball. If that's not opening up for you right now, start writing in something else or start taking an opportunity somewhere else. And the same goes for if you want to work in the field in, in marketing or in sales or whatever it is. You might not be exactly where you want to be right away, or you might also pick something up and fall in love with it. So uh, it just shocks me how at a young age, I was just grabbing anything I could to, to be there and to experience it. And, and I often was surprised at how many people weren't. So how how do you personally manage your time and what do you read on a daily basis and snap yourself out of out of things where you think you're wasting time so for me first of all baseball wise when i'm doing shows and a lot of shows that i do um are one man shows so for example it's almost like nfl red zone for people who don't watch certain mlb tonight episodes but there are certain uh programs where i'm on by myself and it's very challenging. Um, it's great when, you know, like tomorrow I'll, I'll be on with Eric Burns for a few hours and you have somebody to bounce stuff off of. But I've really uh, enjoyed also being on shows by myself and and just you're you're talking to yourself. It's gotten there. First of all, we have a, a strike zone channel, which is a separate channel. And it's like red zone channel. And then there's some MLB tonight's that we'll have during certain time periods, like, for example, on many Sundays from one to five when there's a ton of games going on and I'll just be running you through games. Let's just keep flying to the best spots in, around the country or around Major League Baseball. There's bases loaded here. It's the ninth inning here in a two-run game, whatever it is. Um, but there are times that you have to fill, whether it's over a box score or over a graphic. And so research-wise, I, I don't want to miss anything. So first off, I'm starting with every single day I need to see at least a highlight of every single game. Obviously in baseball, it's impossible to see every minute of every game. And and I'll have MLB tonight on all the time just to keep track of what's going on, but um, to actually have highlights. So for example, we have a show overnight uh, and runs into the morning called Quick Pitch with your highlights. I'll always hit that. Or there's video clips online on MLB.com. Same kind of thing where I'm getting highlights. And then a number of summaries. There's certain people that I'll, I'll definitely always read. That's, and many of them I work with, Joel Sherman, Ken Rosenthal, Tom Verducci. Um, and then there's daily stuff too. And I'm also into fantasy and I do some fantasy work. So, um, there's certain sites in, in that regard too, where for example, Roto world daily dose, like those kind of, uh, articles, they're quick. Um, it runs through basically all of the meat in fantasy for the night, the huge performers, but then also they'll pick a storyline or two that they'll focus on. Like if someone has a contract extension or why is somebody struggling or why is somebody doing so well? Um, so those kind of articles as well. Um, but And then we get a research packet at MLB Network. So what a lot of people also don't realize is 
um, that there's this whole world of a research department, and I'm not just talking about an MLB, and I've, I've met people and worked with people at ESPN too. Like They have a monstrous re- uh, research department, and they're sending you content as well, and they're often um, kind of condensing it for you, which is fantastic because, again, for time management. like They'll take some of the best stats of the day, some of the best little clips uh, or pieces of information of the day, like why is – this guy's suddenly taking a ton of walks. Oh, well, he's decided to be a little more selective at the plate and, and it's a quote from him, stuff like that. And we'll use that on the air, but also it doesn't matter if I'm not on the air. Every I'm doing what I'm telling you right now, especially this is just for baseball, for example, is what I'm doing every day. Keeping up with the entire sports world is a little more broad. I'll hit up a lot of the main sports sites for general stories and reading, but for just focusing on being as knowledgeable in baseball as I can, these are some of the things that I'll do. So again, so... The research packet is in the 20-page range, and there's always at least a page on every single game going on per day. And even if I'm off from baseball and doing something else on, say, Monday and Tuesday, it doesn't change how I'm following the game. Now, I don't necessarily need to be watching every minute of every game and sitting on Twitter and seeing what every writer is writing about, but there still needs to be a, a recap to it. So I need to be able to see the main things. Max Scherzer struck out 20 guys in a game, and I was at a dinner. Okay, I missed it. That that stinks. I missed it live, but you can easily access the clip and, and watch all the strikeouts and, and see what he was doing. So those are the kind of things that I'll do. But what people sometimes don't realize is, and especially with friends and family, is like there's not really an off day. Sports doesn't take an off day ever. I mean, even even in baseball season, there'll be much quieter times, say in the off season, but a story can emerge at any time. So there, there's never a day where I'm really just saying, okay, I'm not looking at anything. And, and if there is, it's rare, and I'm catching up the, ne- the next day on, on everything. So I, I need to be able to have like a day-by-day storyline of what's going on, especially during baseball season. So those are some of the things that I'll do um, before and after uh, I do a broadcast. Uh, something that I think is kind of interesting and is different from writing uh, or being just being a writer is that I think – uh, there's much more of a focus on having an agent when it comes to being on TV and having those connections. Um, I, and this is like a world that I'm just like completely oblivious to just because I'm not someone who is hoping to go into hosting and all that stuff. But uh, how does one go about getting an agent and how important is it for someone to have an agent in the industry? I think it's very situational and usually it's more important the farther along you get in your career. So for your first job in sports TV, you might not need it even potentially for your second job, but eventually you get to a point where, especially if you're working in in a regional or on a national basis, you need some assistance. Unless you know all about the the industry yourself and and how all the numbers work and and how contracts work, it's it's usually beneficial, but often you'll if you get to that point, you'll have people reaching out to you. So the the discussion and the debate in my mind comes at a much earlier stage where I'll speak to somebody that is in their first job and they're wondering, should they have an agent? And it also depends what they're doing because I'm still talking to, as much as I say, hey, I didn't go that local sports TV route, there's still many people that do and they're using an agent that is dealing with those networks and those stations, although a lot more of it is news-based. I just didn't think that was a great fit for me. But um, yeah, I think it's important, especially, I, I don't know, I'm trying to think if I know anybody, co- you know, coworker wise now that I'm on shows with, there's, there's nobody that doesn't have one. Obviously players is a totally different world, but just in terms of being a host, 
I mean, most of them have somebody, and it doesn't have to be an extensive relationship. It can be, um, but at the least, you, you need them to to represent you um, for contracts and uh, just to make sure that you're doing what the industry standard is and, and to know, hey, like, uh, it's very simple stuff. Like, how many vacation days or, or off days should I be getting? What's what's the norm in the business and in the industry and what's fair to ask for and what's fair to receive back? So um, in terms of when to, to get involved, it's, it's, it's really a case-by-case basis. Like, where are you at right now? What are you looking to do? But I think especially when you get to a point where you're working for somebody and you don't know and you're not comfortable, first of all, with negotiating with somebody, uh, there's a comfort level to that, but also just knowing what's fair and, and what you're worth, that that's when you need to seek out help or help will seek you out. But uh, sometimes I see people latch on to things too early. And that also has to do with, with uh, people on their first job. If, if they sign on for a long period of time, and sometimes you don't have that choice. But you know, obviously, if, if it's your first job and you really work hard and you're a talented person, um, you don't want to necessarily be tied down to a job in a, in a, I've heard of people in like five-year contracts. And to me, that's crazy because even in those, like I was talking about earlier, even in those industries where it's, it's a little more direct, like say in business, um, you still don't even see that anymore. Like there's not a lot of guys or, or there's not a lot of people in, in my generation that are with one company for 40 years or something like that. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but it's much more rare. And a lot of my friends that are working for startups or even for much more developed companies that were startups originally, like buddies I have that work in Silicon Valley, you know, someone at Google or Uber, whatever it is, they're still hopping around quite frequently every few years job to job. So I don't know if you necessarily want to tie yourself down only because the industry is changing so fast. I mean, we just started in the past month a show that is just on Facebook. It's on Facebook Live. Uh, Kelly Nash, who's my co-host on the show, she hosts the rundown every day. And and my shows are, for people that don't know, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I mentioned this a little bit, but I do MLB now when Brian Kenny's not there and, and Chris Russo on high heat. I've filled in for his show. And then MLB tonight's the main show that we have on MLB network for people that are unfamiliar. But, um, Kelly's mostly on this show, the rundown and does plays of the week sometimes. And, and so both of me link up and we've, we've started this show and, um, and a lot of the trial and errors involved with it, but it's really neat. And you just don't know, like maybe that's going to be a thing one day where MLB network has a Facebook live show every day, or we're already coming up with a lot of cool ideas and ways to utilize it. Um, it's been one of my favorite projects though in a while. Uh, so how did you get to MLB network? How did that whole process come about? Where were you and what were you doing? And, uh, how did the, the whole opportunity happen for you? Um, so I received word to come up for an audition and I had been sending clips to them for a long time and they'd been aware of my work, uh, as well. And what I was doing, um, was freelancing for a number of spots. So I was still living in Florida. I was calling games for ESPN U and ESPN three college basketball games. Uh, I was doing a little bit of freelance radio work. I, I was all over the place. It was one of those. I get a call, not whatever it is, but just about whatever it is, I'm on it. Hey, Scott, can you do blank? Yeah, sure. Hey, uh, how much do you know about uh, youth football in South Florida? I'm like, well, it sounds good to me. There's a show on NBC and I'm in. So you learn about it. I mean, there's not even any publications on that. So you go to the games and you figure it out. So 
there was gigs like that that I was that I was doing. I was doing the work, like I mentioned, for CBS Sports Network and CBSSports.com. Um, so I was working full time. I was doing a little bit uh, of work for the Heat and for ESPN.com uh, related to the Heat. And so all of those freelance opportunities uh, were helping me gain experience and, and gain exposure. And MLB reached out to me to come up for an audition. And so and people wonder. I mean, it depends what job you're doing, but there's definitely auditions um, at certain networks, um, whether it's a regional network or a national network or even certain local television stations, although sometimes they'll just take uh, tapes and and uh, well, I hope you're not using a tape still, but um, they'll take your website and, uh, and, and you could get hired on the spot just from that or from an interview process after that. But um, auditions, I didn't know. I, w- I was curious, like, is it an audition process like that? And and it was. So I went on there and I was hosting MLB tonight. Go, go ahead, kick it, do some highlights, do some live look-ins, the whole nine yards. And that's what I did. And, and it was great. I had a great time with it. And I did some, I believe, some of the, the solo stuff that I do now, but a, a, pl- a bunch of stuff with other hosts and analysts that were in the house for the day. And they run through a bunch of people and, and test them out. And uh, it went really well. And here I am. So what, could you take us into that audition process? Uh, what I mean, what was happening? What was, I mean, what was the time frame? Like what, what kind of things were going on? Um, so it was pretty quick when I was, when I received, I'm trying to think back. So this is my fifth season at MLB network. So we're going back, you know, five and a half years, something like that, um, where I was reached out and someone reached out to me and set up travel. Um, you don't necessarily get a ton of information going in. I mean, I watched the network, so I knew how that all operates. And so I figured with an audition, they're going to put you through uh, some of the work that they're looking for you to do. And that's what it was. Once you get there, you're linked up with a producer. I think I was linked up with him maybe a couple days before the fact with a producer, just if he, if, if he was going to produce the show and he said, if you have any questions and I called him and had a few questions, just on how, how it was going to work, what shows we were going to do. But a lot of it, they want to kind of see you, for lack of a better word, you know, they want to throw some curveballs at you. So uh, I get there, and they showed me, uh, they took me into an edit room, showed me some of the highlights that I was going to th- go through. And I was prepared from a baseball standpoint. I know the sport. And, and when we do MLB tonight, a lot of it, Almost all of it. People also. This this is a misconception I get. I, I'm I'm all about misconceptions, June. So, uh, because like I went to University of Miami, everyone thinks it's a school of fifty five thousand, and we're on South Beach. Well, we're in Coral Gables, which is a very nice suburban town um, that's outside, and it's about thirty minutes to get to South Beach without traffic. And uh, there's about eight thousand kids there. So I'm all about that. So same thing. Well, don't you just write some copy and put it in a teleprompter? Uh, I do about 1% of that, if that. I mean, most of what I'm doing is ad lib based. And so it's based on the knowledge that you have and the conversations that you have, which I love. I love that part of it because I didn't know it was that. There, there are some shows that are much more scripted um, around television, obviously, but, but MLB Tonight is a show that's going live into a game. There's no script for that. We don't even know what's going on until five seconds before. I have somebody in my ear as I'm talking telling me where we're going to go next. Um, and so that was what I experienced when I was there. And, I, and, and sure, you're not, you look back at it and I still have a copy of it. I haven't looked in a while, but I, I looked probably maybe a year and a half ago, uh, at my audition and, and it's hilarious. It, it's, it's fun to look at. Um, but they're, they're testing to see how you would do on a show like that. Obviously aware of the fact that you've never done it before 
and that it's it's a certain crap that you're going to work on and it's different from what you were doing maybe before that you know like I, one of the gigs I was doing was I would fill in on a on a fantasy football show and most of that was ad lib too I don't think there was any I don't think we used a teleprompter at all but it was just different I mean we had I had one producer in my ear and, and it was just a lot slower we knew generally what our, our rundown of of what we were going to cover for the day it didn't really change much besides getting, say, questions, Q&A from Twitter and from social media at the end of the show, um, where MLB Tonight, it's just, a, it's a ride. Like, you're, you're out in a game, and then suddenly so- something happened, and you weren't at that game, right? So you don't know what happened, and so the producer's kind of running you through it, and then it's, you know, like, say it's, uh, you're going to a game where suddenly there's some tension, and, and you don't even know what that was from because you were live looking into another game, and the producer's kind of telling you what's going on, and then you might show it in a mini box. Okay, guys, this is what happened a minute ago. It's not, I mean, we could keep our eye on certain games, but some of it you're just getting on the fly and you're reacting to it. But I think that's part of why the show wins Emmy Awards because you're just getting guys that are sitting and watching the action unfold just like you would at home. It's not all scripted and, and all buttoned up and, and nice and cute. And that's why I think NFL Red Zone is, is so popular too in the football community because you're just flying from game to game, getting what you want. And and I think sometimes people are like, oh, well, what if you mess up? I'm like, mess up? Like my my life in, in broadcasting is a mess up because <laughs> you, if you do NFL Red Zone, like you could be in one game and be like, okay, now we're going to Jacksonville. Scratch that or just kidding. Uh, actually, we're going to go to whatever. Like that's not a mess up in my mind. That's like live. That That's what people love about sports is that it's live content. So we do the same exact thing. It's like, Let's go to Tampa Bay. Just kidding. Now we're going to the Bronx because the bases are loaded. All right, now we're there. You know, so to me, I'm like, where someone would consider that, say, like a mess up or not clean or smooth, like I would rather watch that. To me, that that's more real. Like that's, we're obsessed with live TV and with reality TV. Like sports is the best reality TV out there. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, what if, so you're a young guy, uh, obviously working hard in the, the sports media field and, and sports media as a whole, I think is, is, is pretty demanding in terms of just energy and time and, and what you're putting yourself through, um, whether that's in your professional life or your personal life. Um, you know, one of my biggest fears, uh, you know, I'm going to be graduating college in a semester and heading into it. One of my biggest fears is just kind of burning out and <laughs> investing too much time <laughs> into my professional career. You're a young guy who's at MLB network. Do you fear that? How do you prevent yourself from burning out uh, and and keep motivating yourself to you know to reach for higher places? It's it's hard to envision it right now because I love it, right? Um, and, and I definitely am hustling, and and I'm the kind of guy. I mean, you can certainly. It depends on where you are in life. I mean, I, I don't have as many connections and responsibilities, right? So if you have kids, it's that's going to put a little more pressure and a little more strain on you. And, and, and one day I'll have that where I want to spend more time with them. But especially in the, in the position that I'm in right now, um, for example, if I get a call, Hey, can you host this radio show on Wednesday? And that's my only off day or off half day or whatever it is. Like nine times out of 10, I'm down, I'm in because that's what I want to do. Will that change maybe one day where you, where you pick and choose a little bit more? Sure. Um, but burnout wise, I mean, yeah, I think you just have to be careful and make sure that you do spend some time just unwinding and relaxing. And it does exist no matter how you slice it. I mean, and it depends on what your job is because some of the people I work with, um, are on call more so than say I am where, you know, if you're an insider or you're a beat guy, 
there's there's not really a time that you can guarantee that you're going to be off because if a huge story breaks, you're there. I do have a little bit more of a luxury. We do I do have on call situations sometimes, but I do have more of the luxury where there are times where I'm going to be off at least from my full time job. So if I do want that full off period, I can I can do it. And so you know, for me right now, I don't need that same amount of time off to kind of reboot myself. Like for me, like if I have a really long like. Uh, if I host a show for a long period of time in a day, like for example, on the weekend, sometimes like I'll do some stuff in the morning and then I'll host like a long show, you know, potentially for three, four hours. Um, I think it's just healthy naturally to like after that, a lot of times like that'll be like on a Sunday. Uh, after that, I'll go to dinner with family or, or see some friends or whatever it is. And even just that unwinding time for a few hours, at least for me right now, is sufficient enough. Um, but I have other other hobbies and things that I'm into. I'm really into working out really into cooking. So there's things like that. And, and not to say, but here's the thing, I'm into that stuff and I just don't have that same burnout factor at least yet where, for example, and, I, and I'm totally in that short attention span uh, demo where I'm working out, okay? I'm listening to a podcast or to a radio show, like say either a podcast like this or a radio show like Sirius XM, uh, one of the shows, say I'm gonna work with somebody on that show the next day, I'll be listening to what they're doing and. Um, and then I, and I also have music on in the background. So I'm like, I have like five things going on at the same time, but I think that's part of the beauty of say like a podcast is I can be walking, I'm, I'm in New York city. I can be walking down the street and, and you know, sometimes you want to kind of just soak in life in the atmosphere, but also there's times where I think time like efficiency and, and being able to accomplish two things at once, I think is huge because if you, if you have two things to do and you can do both of them at the same time, well, you should be able to create yourself a window where you can do something that, uh, is not work per se, even though, you know, obviously most people don't consider what, what we're doing work, but you know, if I'm able to, if I'm able to work out and listen to the radio show or, or podcast or program that I need or watch a show, like for example, I'm really into working out. I'm going to squeeze that in no matter what. There's some days where there's just about no time, but I still need to watch the baseball highlights. So I'm doing push-ups while I'm watching the baseball highlights. It, it sounds a little fratty, but that's what I'm, that's, <laughs> how, that's how I do it, you know, because because otherwise you'll run out of hours in the day. And so that's how I kind of create that extra time um, in random spaces where I can hang out with with family and friends. And that's really my unwind time. That's all I need. I don't need to be necessarily on a beach every uh, couple months or something like that. I, I do enjoy that, and I spend time in Florida when I can to visit family and friends. Um, but I'm not necessarily the guy. And I wasn't like that in Miami, too. People said, oh, how do, how do you even work? How do you even focus? I'm like, it's really not hard. It's there at any time that you want it. I would think it's harder to focus when you never have that. You're at a school where it's super cold. And, and when it's the one you know day out of the month where it's nice out, you're like, oh, I really want to get a little sun. Like, you don't have that. I thought it was a, it was a luxury to have that. So that, that's how I can prevent the burnout. Maybe that'll change. But at least right now, just having those few hours – picking them out throughout certain days is is important for me. But still, time management is huge and, and evolving for me. I, I do not have it figured out by any means yet. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I totally feel the same way. Like, if I'm walking to class, I'm always – I always, always have my headphones in, uh, whether that's, like, listening to music or listening to podcasts. Do you ever feel guilty about that? Like, do you ever feel like – you know, because obviously 10 years ago, that's not how it looked, right? Sure, I mean, yeah. it, like, do you ever feel like you're kind of missing out on the world or, or – I mean, obviously, sometimes just like it, it's hard because I, I do like outdoors and 
appreciating just uh, the sounds of being outside. And also, I mean, who knows? Like, people are so hooked into what they're doing within their headphones that, like, someone might be yelling or shouting your name and you, you miss it. But, I mean, that's happened so to me on campus multiple times. All our friends will yeah. come up to me and be like, oh, yo, I was like, I was, I was yelling at you and saying hi, and you just, like, had your headphones in. I'm like, oh, I feel really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want the world to turn into the movie Her. You ever see that movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, every, where everyone's dating their uh, their iOS, and yeah. uh, I mean that 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 creeped me out a little bit. I'm, I'm all for accomplishing, knocking a couple birds out with one stone, doing what you got to do um, to get through your work and listen to what you want. So, but there there's a balance. I mean, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, like I'll I'll when it's especially especially nice outside, uh, especially like in Ethical when those days are like few and far between. When when it comes to like the middle of the the middle of the semester. Like if we get some sunshine, like I'm just gonna sit out on the grass and just like fall asleep. Like yeah, exactly, and just just be like how people were 10, 15 years ago. Because I'm all on board with all the new stuff and and the way that that society has changed and Snapchatting life and everything like that. But yeah, there's definitely times where same thing. I mean, I, and I'll try to do that, and that's mostly on a day where I'm not necessarily or on a half a day, whatever it is, where I'm not on air, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll try and do that where. Okay, out at a dinner or something like that like I'm, I'm just not touching my phone you know if, if something huge happens I'll probably hear about it from someone else that I'm sitting with um, oh some of my friends have played every once in a while where you're at a dinner I haven't had this in a while and you have to put your phone in the middle of the table and, that, and the first person that grabs it or tries to grab their phone has to pay for the whole dinner and you'd be surprised no one's touching their phone not not a age <laughs> um, um. You seem to be really enjoying the work that you're doing at MLB Network, uh, but I, I like asking this, this question to all my guests. Uh, where do you hope to see yourself in five to ten years in terms of – maybe not necessarily like, like a, a network, uh, but like what you're doing in terms of your professional work? Okay, so my role is is constantly, and as a host, I think it's constantly changing. Where um, when I was first studying how a host would conduct himself on air – uh, you were told to just completely set up, be the point guard. I don't want to say don't show personality, but um, for example, if I was hosting a fantasy show, it's like don't talk about your own fantasy team. Talk about the analyst's fantasy team. And I think we're at a point now where, I mean, you want to connect with everybody that you're watching. And, and I think it's important, and my favorite TV is when I'm watching, you know, like inside the NBA, I just feel like I'm watching the guys just kind of fart around on set and, and talk about whatever they're looking at. They're not – you know, obviously they're going to break it's down like the game, but they also might be it's, it's not highly produced. Right. It's, it's real. It's, it's ad-libbing. It's, it's what's going on right now. It's what's going on if you were sitting on – I think everyone's always trying to look for that, like the balance of you're watching something and it's like you're just sitting on the couch with them. So I think part of that has to do with showing a little bit of your own personality and sometimes your own opinion. So I've really enjoyed over the past couple years – um, doing some shows where I'm also infusing some of my own opinions, and some of that has to deal with the experience now, the experiences that I've gone through, say in the baseball world. So when I'm filling in on a show like MLB Now, I'm definitely steering the conversation and playing that quarterback point guard role. But that doesn't mean that I don't have any say. I mean, for example, if we're talking about a certain player or team. What if I'm the one, I mean, and there's analysts on there, so there might be a former player and there might be a writer, but what if I'm the guy that was, because for example, in October, I'm following teams as a reporter for MLB, 
what if I was the one that actually was with that team for two, three weeks or something like that? I might have some great insight to give you. Does that mean I can't share it? I mean, it, it might be opinion based or, it, you know, it, I, I think that it's just changed where you're allowed to open that up and you, you want to be able to balance and give everyone their time. But um, I really enjoy my co- giving commentary. And so that also has to do with being on the radio. Like I really enjoy my times when I'm on Sirius XM doing MLB network radio or the fantasy channel or whatever it is. And I'm sharing my own opinions on something because I'm passionate about it. And, and I think that it will, if it's a show that I think I can help you out, like on a fantasy channel, that's great. But also I, I think I've, I've seen a lot, like I, it's the, the word expert is just weird, right? You have, you have people, it, would you ever imagine that there would be somebody that never played the sport that's broadcasting a game nowadays as an analyst, like as the color analyst? I mean, I, I didn't picture that when I was growing up, and now I'm, it, it doesn't make any difference to me because they might have just as much, much insight and analysis. And I think it, it does vary based on sports sometimes. I mean, there's definitely people, you know, John Gruden's going to break down X's and O's better than I can. There's no doubt about that. Um, but there are things that you experience on your own that you have insight on. So I, I think that's what's changing the most for me. But this is this is one thing I preach the most. If you don't want to pick one exact thing that you want to do, that that's fine as a route if you want. But you don't have to. Like I was I was told I can't tell you how many times I was told like, but but what are you gonna do? Like you you really should do like pick a sport, pick pick a writing or TV or play by play or reporting, or hosting. I do a little bit of all of it. And for me, maybe that also has to do with the burnout, June, is that I I have variety every single day. I get uh, Here's another common question. What's your everyday like? <laughs> Follow me, because it's different every single day. I might be on super early in the morning. I might be on till three in the morning. And there's, and there's all of that in between, too. And it might be talking about baseball. It might be talking about basketball. Um, it might be talking about hockey. So there's not like one way and one day that's the same for me. And I love that right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is when you're when you're preparing for a show? What is what is kind of that uh, the process from beginning to end? What is your preparation process through the end of the show? OK, so let's go over, for example, um, the next MLB tonight that I'll do. Um, so it'll be me and Eric Burns and. We obviously I'm keeping up with what we spoke about earlier. Uh, I'll make sure obviously there's nothing I missed highlight wise. I'm going to read. That's always what I'm doing too. I'm reading. I mean, whether it's before I go to bed, when I wake up, I'm I'm reading articles. I'm reading summaries of what happened the day before. I'll read mini game recaps um, just so that there's nothing I missed. Nothing. No storylines I missed. No injuries. I'm reading that research packet. And then we'll have a production meeting. So uh, for the MLB Tonight Show that we'll do, it's at 1.30. We might have a production show at 10 a.m. It depends on what show you're doing. Some of them are can meet two to three hours before, and some of them meet four or five hours before or more. So it just depends which show you're doing. And, and most of that also has to do with uh, the editors and the uh, broadcast associates and the associate producers that have to put all these clips together. Like, yeah, everything we're putting together, it's it's not like we just press a button and it's there. Like, they're, they're clipping these pieces together, whether it's a highlight or um, a breakdown of a video that we're showing. So that, that's why sometimes we'll meet so far before a show, because people need four or five hours or whatever it is to put that stuff together, um, at least some of the segments. Like, we'll go live into these games, but then coming out of one of the games, what if uh, Burnsy wants to do a breakdown of why the Chicago White Sox have been so much better defensively because Austin Jackson's in center field and Adam Eaton's in right field? Well, 
Um, you might see an example of that in the game, but if you want to break it down and say show three plays from the past week that shows why they've had so much more field coverage out there, uh, that's something that has to be pre-produced. So that's what we'll, uh, we'll meet about in a production meeting. And then between the production meeting and when you're going on, I mean, depending on what time of day it is, you're watching the games, you're talking to whoever you're going to be on with, you're talking to the producer about anything that you need to make sure that you get in there. There's, uh, you need to get paid. So and when, I, when I say that, I mean everything that you do is usually sponsored, right? Not everything, but you know, MLB Tonight is presented by blank or this segment is sponsored by whatever. You need to make sure that you have those down and you know what you're talking about or if there's a certain segment um, because that's the moneymaker right there. But uh, so that that's a big deal too. So, the, but those are the kind of things that you're going through between. Uh, but, but the thing the thing is, like a lot of your prep and your research is done even before you get there. At least for a studio show, or from most of the studio shows that I do, like it, it's it's an ongoing knowledge base that's that you're like building up in your own head and that you're following because it's not like you just show up there, you read a few articles, and you're good to go. Like you really need to know, and it's a big difference, I think, in a specialty network. Like when you're doing a, a network that's all baseball or all hockey compared to, say, when you're on a network that's covering a number of sports, like, say, when I did some work for ESPN, I mean, you might not have to talk about the uh, fourth string left winger on the Calgary Flames on on a show that I'm doing on, you know, when I was doing work for ESPN compared to if I'm on NHL network. So it's kind of understanding what you need to delve into and also what the fan base is looking to do. You're going to hit more of the top shelf names on a show that's more varied. So it's knowing your base. But that that also goes with kind of digging deeper into that sport and putting aside the other sport for the day. I'll do that a lot too because there's been days where I'll host something for baseball and then I have hockey that night. So I'll try to just completely – I'm keeping track of everything – throughout my days but then for those few hours like I'm locked into baseball and then I have a few hours between the next show I'm locked into hockey so that's kind of how I'll go about it um is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you wanted to talk about um I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I've learned along the way here um that's well okay so like I mentioned this a little bit but uh, again this this goes with for people that are looking to get into the industry there's just so many more avenues. Like what you're doing is obviously a great example, but um, like what I talked about with with Facebook Live, like and and Facebook Live for if people don't know what it is, it's it's very it's very similar to Periscope. Um, they have a large user base, and you can click a button and you're live whenever you want. And one of the benefits right now is that it lives forever. So we'll do these shows, and there's I mean we get. The, uh, the views more than double after the fact because people want to watch the show after and they might have missed it um, where sometimes Facebook Live is just all about being live. Some of the stuff we do is like we're catching that live and so we have to do it at that point but it's also cool to look at it after the fact. So that's one thing I think Facebook's done a really good job of that if someone's catching a, a sick live event, like not everybody is, is, is catching that at that very moment and you might uh, get word of what just happened or hey, like on this show, like we had John Smoltz talking about how he's a pancake specialist and how he makes the perfect pancake with what ingredients, whatever it is. Like you might've heard that on Twitter or whatever, like, but if you miss it for that one second, like it's gone. So I do like the part that, uh, the fact that you can also listen back to it, just like with your shows, like you can listen to the podcast back. But, um, I think I, what I, what the reason that I'm getting to this is if you're trying again, if you're trying to even just forget about exposure. Just get reps on your own. Like, make a little show and start putting that stuff together. And the other thing, because I'll speak at camps, 
sometimes or at broadcast programs is social media because I think first of all it, it, it's wild like I'll, I'll do a poll of uh, like while well, I talk to a really young audience like say the kids are like 8 to 13 and I'm, I'm saying okay um, you know, I'm telling some of the kids if they want to reach out to me just like DM me on Twitter or like send me a men- mention and I'll write back or whatever it is and like I've polled and like I've polled rooms where say there's like that age say 8 to 12 and like none of them have Twitter, all of them have Instagram. So I think that kind of stuff is cool too, like recognizing what's popular right now and what's impactful. So, and, and kind of spreading yourself out sometimes. You could spread yourself too thin, but like recognizing that like not everybody's on Twitter, especially the young age demographic. Like most of the young kids that I spoke to, almost none of them were on Twitter. But what was important to me when I spoke to them was, do not, like everything you do lives. And I, I think sometimes when you're a kid, you don't realize that because you grow up with this stuff all around you and everybody's voicing their opinion. But what you don't realize is that when you if, if you do want to like if you're going to a broadcast program and say you're say you're 15, 16 and you're trying to build your name up, like if, if you write the wrong thing that rubs somebody the wrong way, like that doesn't go away. Right. Like you, you can look that up in the future. So for getting a job, that is vital. You can build yourself up and build a presence in social media, but you can also smack yourself down really easily uh, because you just have to think about who's running everything nowadays. Like, there, a lot of stations are run by leagues or run by teams, so you, you just have to be careful. I, I, I say whatever I want, but you, you, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you have to, you have to be able to, uh, like, don't be a jerk. Don't be, you don't be say something you'll regret. But the problem is the problem is that you have kids doing this now that are say 12 years old and they make a Twitter account and that's the same yeah. Twitter account that they have like say you know like, right now this this like, is living for 10 years so like, 10 looking, years later it's still there. Like I'm looking forward to the day when we elect a president that where we get to see their tweets from when they're like 15 years old and they're yeah. just like horrendous. And it's all there too like people don't think well oh I can just delete that at one point whatever like there are so many programs to be able to look back at stuff like you put it on there um, it, it is likely going to be found or going to be seen, especially if it's something that was either inappropriate or something that you're going to regret. But the problem is like, it's almost like you can't grow up now, right? Yeah. Like you, you can't make the same mistakes sometimes. You have to be so much more PG and careful. Um, you want to show your personality, but at the same time, like you don't want to hurt yourself later on. And the problem is like, I can only imagine, I'm like, if I just was given a platform when I'm 11 every single day and I'm like, told okay write a couple things every single day like that's on your mind that freaks me out that oh, God. I, like, <laughs> if i had to look back at that luckily i wasn't in that world but now you are and so i, I see it already because just you know i'll tell these kids like okay um I'll, I'll get a few of them on instagram and and they'll send me a, a dm on there and hey great meeting you whatever it is and then i'll just like you know i'm, I'm very curious to just click on their page and look at what they're doing and sometimes it it blows my mind what is being put up there, you know, whether it's a picture that's inappropriate because I hired, I did hiring when I was with the, in the Cape Cod league, like we ended up building it into this media team where we would end up having a team of, I want to say like five of us. So I was, I hired three or four other people and guess what the first thing I did was as, as soon as I got, as soon as I got the resume, I looked real quick there, but, but the first thing I did was go onto all their social media and also have a buddy help me just in case like you can't, because some of it'll be private or it's only within their friends. But even that, I'm like, it doesn't matter. You can blow right through that and, and see what you need to see. Sure. So for me, that that helps. That helps like 
uh, narrow the process down enormously for me just to see how they were interacting and what they were saying and um, if they were doing anything inappropriate. Like if I'm hiring somebody that's going to be writing game stories for me, like it's important to see what they've written on their Facebook and Twitter for the past 10 years, even on their own private account. Like that matters to me. So that that's huge. That's very important for me. Um, and also just to keep uh, keep up, like you said, like, and I think maybe this is important for, for not burning out is, is doing what you love to do and making sure that you're still able to do that so that work is because what we're doing is so fun, like make sure it's still fun. Like, uh, so if, if it's just taking over your role completely and you can never do anything on your own time, you're never ever seeing your family. You're never, for me, like I'm just very into, um, working out and learning about, um, different diets and different, uh, you know, like health, fitness, nutrition based. Um, and also it relates to ballparks. I've been studying that a lot because when I'm on the road, I have dietary restrictions. So I've, I've had some fun, stories and things where I'm popping all over the place and I'm like in the kitchen in Kansas City, like figuring out exactly what I can eat back there. Um, so just make sure that you're able to follow what you want to follow still because you never know when that's actually going to be a job too. You know, like you never know when that component's going to be important. And when you're on air, like you still have to be a, a, a worldly, a renaissance person, right? It's more important if you, if you have and you know a little bit about everything, it still can apply. Like it's not going to apply that often, but you don't want to be completely out of touch even if you're just hosting, you know, um, a baseball show all day. Like you still want to know what's going on in the world. So just keep your, keep your visors open. Well, Scott, uh, this was a, a, a very enjoyable time. Uh, thanks. Thanks so much for, for taking the time. You got it, June. Very good talking to you. And, uh, let's do it again sometime. Yeah, definitely. Have a good one, man. You too. It's always on my mind. Thanks again to Scott Braun for coming on the show this week. Hope you guys enjoyed our conversation. If this is the first time you're listening to the show, please make sure to head over to iTunes and hit the subscribe button. Also, leave a rating if you enjoyed the show. It really does help us out. And make sure to spread the word. Tell a friend. Check out the previous episodes. We had Ken Rosenthal on last week. Next week, we're hoping to have somebody on to talk about the new Chance the Rapper mixtape. And the week after that, we're going to have Sam Kennedy, who is the president and CEO of the Boston Red Sox. So pretty exciting stuff coming up on the show. You're going to want to keep subscribed to check it out. And uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at Bartolopod. You can follow me on Twitter at IamJuneLee. Scott Braun's on Twitter at Scott Braun. And uh, I think that's it for this week. So make sure to stay tuned for the Chance the Rapper episode next week. And Sam Kennedy the week after that. See you guys in the next one. Your love is simple, baby. You've been on my mind and since you're watching me. I do it all the time and since you say you love me. It's just a fire. It's just a fire.